I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance. Cholesterol is just a sideshow. We know that has nothing to do with really predicting cardiovascular risk that you face every day. So part of the assessment with all our patients is matching the clinical context with these biomarkers. We're here for optimal, not normal. It's not like going to your GP and getting a a uh, lab sheet, right, from Quest or LabCorp, which is numbers in huge ranges. And you're like, well, okay, I'm I'm within these ranges, so I must be okay. Hour with a doctor? Nobody's ever gotten an hour with a doctor in the last, you know, 30 years. It just doesn't exist <laughs> anymore, you know? I would rather you be a little overweight and have good VO2 max and strong functional capacity than skinny and normal body weight and can't get off the couch. I'm just going to cut right to it. We need decentralized medicine and we need decentralized health optimization platforms. That's what Opt Health is. Dr. Jeremy Walker, who you'll hear from shortly, guides us through this process of paying for your own blood work, getting a one hour consultation with a doctor who will help read your blood work and explain to you where your health deficiencies are. This is an incredibly important platform in my opinion because we as consumers just don't have access to these types of blood markers with our general practitioners. They won't pull hormones for you unless there is some really obvious or really extreme reason for them to pull that blood. I think it's really important for all of us to be pulling our blood work at least annually. And if you're having some serious health issues or you're just not feeling like you're optimized, you might wanna do it every six months or even more frequent. I've suggested this platform to a number of my coaching clients and friends and family, and that's you can go to getopt.com and use the code OPP for 20% off. Listen, you got to know what's going on in your blood and you got to know what to do about it. And that's where Opt Health comes in. This is a really powerful episode, really centered around decentralizing the medical paradigm, decentralizing health optimization so that you can own your own health and own your own data. Super important stuff. Before we dive into the episode, I just want to say thank you for listening, whether this is your first episode you've ever heard or this is number 473. Thank you for being here. It is my goal to bring this type of information directly to you for free. So if you want to support me and you want to support this podcast, please go ahead and click on the links in the show notes and support the sponsors of this here podcast and yours truly, Sean McCormick. You can always find me on Instagram at McCormick. And if you want to join the What's Up Wednesday newsletter, which is a very short newsletter every single Wednesday, go ahead and send me an email, sean at seanmccormick.com, or just go to seanmccormick.com and drop your email there. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Dr. Jeremy Walker. And I'm here with Dr. Jeremy Walker, the co-creator of Opt Health. Dr. Jeremy Walker, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. John, thanks for having us. It's been a long time since I saw you last. Yeah. Yeah. You and I have been kind of talking back and forth for a while. Um, I've used the platform and I really love it. And I think that it solves a a a pretty major problem for people. I mean, uh, you know, virtual medicine is not a new concept, but it is emerging. And I think it's the cutting edge. I think it's the future of, of, of um, health optimization. Maybe start with what what made you decide to get involved with a platform like this when you have a whole other career uh, in the medical world? Oh, yeah. Great question. So how much time do we have here today? Yeah, yeah. Seven hours. <laughs> Good, because I blocked off that much time for you. Well, 
um, you know, I think it all starts, a lot of us in this space, right? Me and my peers and colleagues, we started in the traditional system. And for me, that was medical school. So four years of medical school and four years of residency and then 10 years as an anesthesiologist. That's the path I chose to pick. And well, 10 years, I hit that burnout rate, right? I keep seeing the struggles in Western medicine and we're not making any progress, right? In population health. So just fast forward, here we are present day, OptHealth, um, partnered with a couple of my buddies and some other brilliant minds in this space um, who also you know, saw the struggles that our patients are going through. So OptHealth was born about four years ago. And I think it was just coincidence that it was about the start of the pandemic. I don't, that wasn't the intent of it. It was more to let's get out in front of this um, and really just democratize the access to, you know, uh, performance medicine because Western medicine is completely missing the mark. We know that. And so once you, once you see it, you can't unsee it type, right? Mentality. And that's, that's where we are. That's the first time that I've heard the term performance medicine. Maybe elaborate a little bit more on the distinction between Western medicine, sick care versus performance medicine. Yeah, I get that question a lot. And, um, you know, the traditional system, right, is very good at just maintaining status quo, right? And I would definitely trust them to save my life if there was trauma, and needed to rush me to the operating room. I've seen that. I've been a part of that system, right? But when you're talking about true preventative medicine and extending that longevity curve, you know, and lifespan and health span, that's what they're missing. We are living longer than we did 100 years ago, but the quality of our life is way down. And we are definitely, you know, guilty in the traditional system of just prescribing our problems away and never addressing the root cause. And that's what we're here to do, right? Is kind of usher in that truth, set a new standard for healthcare, put people back in control of their health, demystify all this noise, help them realize their best self, and really slow down the pace of aging. If not, reverse it. It's here. It's not complicated, but the world has made it complicated. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One, one, why do you think we are sicker now in the United States than we ever have been before? Do you, do you have a, do you have an, do you have a a thought on why, why we're sicker now? Wow. Sean, so much to unpack right on this topic and it could go a thousand ways and back. Um, you know, we all point our fingers at something and it's probably just based on our understanding of it, you know, and then you can go down these rabbit holes and next thing you know, you think you found the Holy grail, right. To longevity and reversing aging and preventing chronic disease. I think a lot of that stuff that I still preach, you know, present day, and these are, you know, there's things that I've adopted too over my life from time immemorial. It's just basic health and wellness. And of course, my perspective has changed over the years from eating, you know, plain chicken breast and tuna cans and rice every day, you know, as a college student thinking I was doing the best thing. But at that time, that's what I knew. And I too was kind of victim to the system, right? But back to your question on what's causing 
this rapid increase of chronic disease today. I think the biggest thing is that our lifestyle is completely disconnected from our biology. Mm. We don't get outside like we used to, right? We don't eat the foods that we used to. We overwork. We undersleep. We've kind of lost touch with that. And this is probably our, our way of manifesting that we kind of need to take a step back. A lot of us are missing the, what you say, the forest for the trees. And we're searching for that next right silver lining or magic bullet or a shortcut. And there's not. Mother nature is so beautifully complex and everything's tethered to each other. So we go pulling on one string, right? And it pulls us the other way because the system has to maintain this equilibrium. But I do, probably in a, a broader context, if we want to put that under an umbrella, I think our nutrition is one of the biggest things that we have distanced ourselves from, right? We've gotten extremely reliant on ultra-processed foods. I mean, I think the statistics are over 70% of our calories in this country are coming from ultra-processed foods. And people are realizing this. Countries are realizing this. Even across overseas. Now, we haven't taken this leap of faith yet in this country, but I believe Italy was the first country to ban lab-generated meat. They just know. That's not the best source of nutrition, right? Nutrient-dense foods that's compatible with our biology. doesn't matter how much you can engineer it. There's this whole, like, Pandora's box, right? This dark matrix of food and nutrition that we still don't understand. Just because we identified, right, by, by vitamin B1 through 12, and we put it back into some synthetic food or a multivitamin that we're okay. No, it doesn't work that way. There's way more in that food that you're getting, that whole raw food that you will never get anywhere else. It's not going to come from a lab. And I don't know if we'll ever out-engineer Mother Nature. And maybe I, I hope we don't, but I hope that we can at least realign with it and work more right, symbiotically um, and kind of get rid of all this tussle around what diet fat is going to be the next one. I mean, in, some, in its most simplistic and beautiful form, that is just eat whole, simple foods. Keep them local, right? Keep them seasonal. Support your local farmers. It's no different than the healthcare system. It's extremely centralized. We need to decentralize this. We need to put the power back in control, right? Of the local physicians and the people, right? And the farmers. That's what we need to do. Today's episode is brought to you by BioPro Plus. You've probably heard me talk about it because I've been taking it for a couple of years and I absolutely love it. It is by far the most impactful supplement I've ever taken and I've experimented with hundreds and hundreds of different supplements. BioPro Plus is the faster, easier, and safer non-synthetic alternative to painful, expensive, and invasive anti-aging hormone treatments. It's a unique combination of ingredients taken daily in the morning under the tongue to help literally everything. I'm talking about better sleep, faster metabolism, better muscle growth, increased libido, better mood. I can't tell you how effective this product is. And here's the thing, for guys over 35, 
our hormones and our ability to create growth hormone plummet. They start to decline very rapidly, especially if you're stressed out or you have a busy life. And what I have suggested to many of my clients and you, dear listener, is to wait. Wait before you go on TRT. Wait before you go do a thousand injectable peptides and try this product first. It is absolutely phenomenal. All you have to do is go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off or click on the show notes and take me up on this offer. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from clients that wish that they had found this years ago. Bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And Dr. Jack Cruz uh, is a... He's got a community he calls the uh, mitochondriacs, um, really focuses on light nutrition, you know, circadian health, et cetera, you know, really focuses on getting adequate sunshine. And, and, and he harps continuously. He's also a big Bitcoiner. He harps continuously on decentralization. And we know now that the Western medical paradigm of diagnose and prescribe is just not serving us anymore. It's just not helping uh, health outcomes. It's not helping health span. It's it's putting a Band-Aid on a symptom that is expressing itself because of due to something else that you've you, you know you've you've uh, highlighted already, which is lifestyle and nutrition. And I think that the Western medical paradigm focusing on petroleum-based solutions for lifestyle factor issues is just, it's just not working. And in the statistics, you know, you ask around your aunts and uncles, um, how many prescription drugs they're on. Most of them are on several, you know, I don't know what the average is, but it's it's something like four or five, you know? Right. It's, it's staggering. It's so alarming. And we're, that goes back to prescribing our problems away. What we have lost touch with and understanding is metabolic medicine. That's the root cause of everything. I really believe it. Now, listen, not here to talk down on our current system. I mean, I trained there and it taught me a lot of valuable things, right? I mean, there are some core principles there that will I'll carry on through my practice, but that was just a stepping stone. It's unfortunate that the things that I know today and I've spent you know, the past four or five years really gone down some deep, dark, you know, let's say libraries and books and journals on was never mentioned or talked about in my training. Mm. Give me an example. Oh man. So, all right. We know there's the Barbara topic around cholesterol and LDL. That's not new, but I have patients today that come to me and I hear the story at least once a week. Sometimes once a day, young men and women in their, say, 20s and 30s who are still being told by their GP to don't eat eggs and stay away from red meat because their cholesterol is on the fringe of 200 or their LDL is at 100. You think that's actually a problem? I mean, that ship has sailed. That's way, that's water under the bridge, man. Cholesterol is just a sideshow. We know that has nothing to do with really predicting the cardiovascular risk that you face every day. It's just, it started a long time ago, 1960s by Ansel Keys. And 
it's tough to slow that down, but it will. And I think it's coming. And there's some great research out there from non-funded academics and pharma. Um, but you know how it goes. The, a, a lie travels all the way around the world right before the truth has time to put its shoelaces on or tie its shoelaces. It, it's so true. We saw that with testosterone in men and prostate cancer. It literally took 70 years for one guy to overturn that bad evidence. 70 years. And now we know that testosterone does not cause prostate cancer, but it does. <laughs> the greatest risk for your cardiovascular risk is going to be your metabolic health. And by that, I'm going to say probably the number one thing you can look at and standardize amongst everybody is going to be insulin. Insulin resistance is the keystone biomarker um, that will tell me if your mitochondria are working well. Is your system operating efficiently or is it not? Just let's go ahead and blanket say, I think the statistical rates on everything out there is about 70% these days. I think the general population insulin resistance is about 70%. Now that's just the start. I, I tell my patients, it's like the pre-pre-diabetes, insulin resistance to pre-diabetes, right? To diabetes. By the time you trip those um, arbitrary numbers that Western medicine, right, puts out there to treat you, it's, it's not, it's just that it's too late. Although we can reverse that. That gets me onto another topic. Remind me, bring me back. Let's circle back to that. But insulin resistance carries the same risk as pre-diabetes and diabetes. It's just a matter of time and how long you've been carrying that because that's inflammation. We call it inflammation. It's inflammation throughout your whole system. And it doesn't discriminate. It affects your cognitive function. It affects your heart, your kidneys, your liver. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is the number one reason for, I think, liver failure these days. It, but we see them as completely separate and distinct presentations, right? Or pathologies. And that's where the traditional system is stuck mm. because it's extremely siloed, right? Your ophthalmologist doesn't think about what your heart doctor knows, right? Or your nephrologist in the kidneys or your endocrinologist, but we've all been stuck there. I was stuck there. Right. And I thought that that was as simple as just looking at some lab ranges and saying, hey, if you're outside these lab ranges, then we'll treat you. But what about inside? What about that one to 100 lab range? Lab ranges to today are nothing but couch potato, you know, lab ranges that aggregate 95% of the population. But how can we say that just because you fit within these lab ranges of being disease free that you're optimal in optimal health? You're not. And I think we talked about stuff like that, right? And walking through the platform and looking at some yeah. of your biomarkers, you see that these marginal moves are an early warning sign. Things to reassess the current situation and environment. And as you know, just like all my patients, we're going to sit here and talk probably 20, 30 minutes about what? Lifestyle. You have to keep the house of cards in check. Yeah. If you don't, no matter what I give you or prescriptions, right, or medicines, if we need to, are going to do what they can do to their potential. Yeah. We have to unwind the metabolic stress. 
Yeah. You, you. So for context, I'll kind of zoom out a little bit and, and share with the listener, you know, uh, so I've done two rounds of blood work through the platform Opt Health. And the reason why I love this so much is because it is damn near impossible to get, especially the hormone markers that you guys pull from your regular doctor. I've sent somewhere between 10 and 25 people to, to download the app, to sign up with Opt Health because a 42, 45-year-old guy who to me is sort of presenting <clears throat> as I'm coaching him, talking to him, he's like, yeah, I'm kind of tired. I'm kind of moody. You know, I don't get morning wood anymore. My sex drive is down. It's hard for me to put on muscle. And that is just so obvious to me that there's a hormone issue. He can't go to his doctor and ask for, hey, I want to do my annual blood work. He can't, they they won't pull it. They they and this happens all the time. They will not pull uh, your hormone markers. So we don't know what free T is. We don't know what your T is. We don't know what your sex hormone binding globulin is. So this guy gets this data about his cholesterol that's alarming, even though he's lean, you know, he's getting other sort of markers from his general practitioner. But in my opinion, it's not enough. It's not, it's not relevant enough and it's not actionable enough. And so, so in the two, uh, in the two blood panels that, that we did together, I was actually able to see where I'm at in one snapshot six months later with some changes that I've made <clears throat> after conversations that you and I have had, and also, you know, stepping up my game and my lifestyle to see another snapshot. And it also gives this really beautiful biological age number that I absolutely love. It's like, Sean, you're 40, but your blood work says you're 29. So I do a little happy dance. You know, I high five my wife. She rolls her <laughs> eyes. Um, but that that to me, this is at the heart of practical biohacking. This is this is decentralized medicine, and it's done in an affordable way that's convenient and actually gives you time with a physician like yourself. And I think that this is the future of, of, of health optimization. It has to be custom. It has to be decentralized. It has to be relatively affordable, and you have to be able to talk to a specialist. And that's what you guys, that's what you guys have done. And so- Kudos, I guess. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. And that's that's the whole goal. And it, it, we did start off as a male-only, right, platform about four years ago with the intent of expanding, broadening our, our wings, and we are. And so the, the women's program is almost here. It's in beta launch. We have our longevity program tightened up, and it's about to launch. It, you know, there's so much to, to unpack. Every time I talk to my patients, it's just this ongoing right evolution. They learn more. I learn more about them. And we dial these things in. Is You see this data. It's like your wearables. Sometimes this is the motivation factor for some people. Seeing is believing. If you don't see it, you kind of just disregard it. And you think there's no, there's nothing there that you can learn from. So you get to see your biomarkers, which we we check. <clears throat> and that's the whole purpose of talking to you about the fundamentals, core principles of any longevity plan, nutrition, exercise, and sleep. That way I can better understand why these biomarkers might be manifesting the way they do. Um, and hormone imbalances, 
can be a problem, but were they the problem to begin with? That goes back to talking about root cause and upstream. Like I want to know why your testosterone might be a little low or the estrogen progesterone imbalances are off because it's a chicken or the egg kind of philosophy. What comes first? Is it just because I have poor tea that I can't focus and work out and can't sleep? Is this something I've been carrying around forever and it's just finally caught up to me? Mm. So the historical context sometimes can be a little tricky when we really try to go back in time and piece this together. But you're right. Usually that is, again, your system's way of telling you something's off. And so be it if you need a couple targeted nutraceuticals or hormones to get you moving. And that's what we do. Until we get everything back in the same sandbox, right? Talking efficiently. We reverse metabolic symptoms and disease. And that's when I talk to my patients and say, hey, because they get that question all the time. Do you need hormones? Which is not the only thing we focus on, right? But do I have to take these for life? No, not at all. I encourage all my patients that in time, we come off these if they're on them. And let's see where the body resets. Because my prediction after working with them is they're going to reset at a higher level because their metabolic health is that much better. Right? Let's talk a little bit more about that because- it's come to, I think a lot of people think of, think of exogenous hormones, um, or TRT or peptides as like, okay, well, once I start this, I'm all in and I can never stop. And it's going to cost me a ton of money. And over the course of my life, like it's going to hijack my body's own ability to create hormones and, um, and, and so forth. And so it's, it is kind of refreshing, to be reminded by you that this is not like, hey, you're 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 past the point of no return, and now you're going to be on prescriptive X or Y or exogenous injections or whatever, and and so I think it's a good reminder. So maybe walk us through a little bit that process of okay, you know, hey, X X person, it probably is a good idea to consider taking some taking some hormones because it's going to boost you up but you don't have to, you're not, it's, it's, it, you're not on there for the rest of your life. So maybe walk us through the process and also walk us through some of the markers that you're looking at and thinking of as a way to get people to a higher level. Lifestyle changes happen simultaneously, and then they can come back off of those prescriptions. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great question, Sean, because there's not one path that I can prescribe for everybody. And, and how you feel might not be how the guy beside you feels, right? With the testosterone is 700 or 800. So part of the assessment with all our patients is matching the clinical context with these biomarkers. That's number one. We can't rely on serum biomarkers to tell us everything. Although that's kind of the standard, right? But as you know, you can test your urine metabolites. You can test your saliva. Shoot, you can even send in hair samples or a plunge biopsy from your skin and get different hormone readings, right? And protein levels. So sometimes just looking at a number, what I want to get here is that it's very, sometimes it can be misleading, right? Because your number might not be my number. And so, but we have to, we have to marry those two together because I've seen it a lot over the past three or four years. 
that one patient, it feels great at 600, the other feels great at seven or 800 or 900, right? Still all acceptable. And so when you start these things, if we're just going to isolate hormones, right? Your body has its own internal mechanisms for regulating these things. So when you take an exogenous hormone, especially for the men, then your body perceives that you've got plenty. So it doesn't want to make its own. Now I can't say it completely shuts down. I don't think that happens, but it gets pretty low because I've seen guys that have been on testosterone and come to us and they probably just stopped within four or six weeks, right? And their testosterone levels are in the tank because their body, right, was asleep. Mm. Those guys downstairs, those two guys are, are important for making testosterone. And that feedback loop in the system, right, when you take testosterone is the brain perceives that you've got plenty. So it doesn't send the signals down stairs to your boys and says, hey, make some more. It kind of just goes into a little hibernation. Okay. And as you know, that's one of the side effects of sometimes when the testicles might shrink up and become raisinets for some guys. Just depends on that feedback loop and how strong that signal is for that individual. But there's ways to mitigate that also with supplementing with another medicine or two on testosterone to maintain a little bit of regular hypothalamic gonadal, we call it, activity so that the testicles don't shrink. And you can maintain a little bit of fertility. Um, but I, you know, going on testosterone for anybody who's planning on having kids or, um, or who hasn't yet is definitely something that we put the brakes on a lot. You don't want to jeopardize fertility. Um, and cause you don't know where you start. I mean, fertility rates now are also plummeting. Yeah. Yeah. And I encourage all guys, you know, if they have the time and bandwidth to go get a sperm analysis, if they insist on going on testosterone and they're not going to have kids just to see or put some in the bank, right? That's just a little insurance policy for yourself. But back to the testosterone and, and weaning off, you know, I haven't been doing this for 20 years. We know that there's people out there have been doing this forever. And I can't say how hard it is to come off after being on testosterone for 20 or 30 years. But I've got guys that range from young 30s all the way up to 70s that have been on testosterone, okay? And it definitely fulfills that purpose to give them a better quality of life. I mean, I see it all the time. When it comes to eliminating some of that brain fog, coming out of the trenches and putting a little more wind in their sail to get the job done, right? Be more present with the family, have better sleep, better sexual health. It's there. I mean, that's that's uncontested. We know that. Um, but we also have to work with that supplementation to improve the metabolic signals and hormonal signals so that they can realize the full potential of that. Mm. But they can come off. I've taken guys off testosterone. It's not a problem. Now, you can never say never in medicine, and there's no guarantee, but you, you, you should be able to transfer off testosterone. We just want to know where you started, right? What's your baseline? If you're really concerned about kids or you're not sure, even if you're 40, you think you might have one more, then again, that's where's a hard stop for me on that with a lot of patients. 
And that is to know, know where you're starting because it might be hard to get back that late in age, your fertility. Well, it goes back to the point that it has to be individualized. You know, there are no, there are no, you can't generalize when it comes to dosage or numbers Uh or averages. You know, I may be, excuse me, I may be my best self at 650. That might be my sweet spot for testosterone. I might just do just fine there. I'm good. Other guys might need eight or nine you know, to feel like they're, to feel like themselves. And, and so it, it is, it's reassuring to me that it's not, it's not just, you've crossed this threshold. Now you're taking exogenous hormones and now you're stuck there forever. But I am curious while we're on the topic, because it's, it's, I just see it so frequently with the guys that I work with that have high stress jobs, they have families, they're running companies, et cetera, and, and they don't feel like themselves. So Mm -hmm. what are some ways that you've experimented with helping guys, you know, wean off or transition off of testosterone? What other sorts of supplements or lifestyle habits do you help them with in order to transition back off of uh, the exogenous stuff? Sure. Sure. So that starts from day one and working with the patients, right? We try to architect a new lifestyle from, from the beginning. If I'm dealing with a patient who checks off all the boxes, right? From metabolic inflammation to poor sleep, to high stress levels, focusing more on their business than they are their health. And just, you know, all of a sudden woke up and realized that they're not in a good spot. These are things that we have to reconsider, right? And so when these guys, the few that, you know, we've taken off already and have been probably in that situation, we've seen dramatic changes, right? in and their performance, everything from the metabolic syndrome factors to their sleep, to their stress management. So that's step one, because if you come off the testosterone or any hormone for that matter, and we didn't fix our foundation level inputs, well, we can just assume that when you have an average sexual transition, your testosterone level is going to be where you start. Now, there's some variability day to day. But I think one of the most important you know, contributions to coming off is definitely the foundation. And they've come off for multiple reasons. Yeah, they're just in line with their lifestyle. Sometimes travel is a big one, you know, and just try and keep up with things. But we know these things are all portable. Um, you know, first, you always wean off a dose. It's like stopping anything. You know, what happens if you stop your blood pressure medicine, just cold turkey or your reflux medicine? You're going to have a rebound effect. You're going to feel pretty horrible. So you have to wean these things off. And part of that is just de-escalating the dose over time. And there is, again, there's no protocol for that. You just take it slow and maybe you take it slower if you've been on it for 20 years. I just kind of eyeball it, you know, and we make adjustments along the way for the guys. But usually you just de-escalate the dose. We'll say anywhere from four to six weeks. And you can add in one of the other medicines that I alluded to earlier to counteract um, some of that feedback suppression to get things lined back up, right? The pro-fertility medicine. Clomid's a big one. HCG's one. And that kind of amplifies the signal again to get things up and running as we make that transition. Okay. So, the, yeah, I think the time frame can be anywhere from, say, a month 
um, all the way up to probably three or four. But I, I haven't seen that yet. And I think that's only because I haven't taken somebody off testosterone that's been on for 20, 30 years. I mean, if you're at that point in your life and you realize that this is uh, improving your quality of life, you're probably not going to stop. And at that point in life, it it probably doesn't have as much significance or an impact than if you were, say, 30 or 40 and you wanted to see what your body could do, right? Hmm. So in that context, we know that optimal testosterone and estrogens and progesterones and cortisol levels will influence the outcome of your health. I mean, you don't want to just be in the range that we alluded to earlier. These ranges are sick ranges, okay? Mm. We either probably want to be on the upper end of that curve or the lower, lower end, depending on what hormone we're looking at or the patterns throughout the day, like cortisol. You can't just check a cortisol level at one time and say, I've got high cortisol levels. Serum testing is the most misleading. You need to check a 24 hour, four times a day cortisol level to see that curve, right? Whether you're high or low or flattened and that translates into that stress level um, and that wired and tired and poor sleep, right? Um, So checking these things and finding that optimal spot for for a lot of our patients is all about precision medicine. That's what it is. We know that testosterone is very preventative for chronic cardiovascular disease, right? Alzheimer's, diabetes. It Again, they all play in that same sandbox. And the more that they're fine-tuned together, the better you're going to run. That's just all there is to it. There's, And it's probably more of the association with these things, right? But you can say, yeah. Study after study will tell you that low testosterone, really low testosterone, carries a higher risk of all of these things when it calls when it comes to chronic disease. There's more prostate cancer associated with low T than there is, you know, a, a higher end optimal level. What, what are probably, some? Of, what are some of the other uh, uh, diseases that come from low testosterone yeah. besides uh, prostate cancer? Well, there's you can't again we can't because of how these things are all tethered together. Right. I can't just say that having a low T is correlated with, let's just say, Alzheimer's or heart disease. We can manipulate the statistics, you know, kind of however you want, maybe on some of those issues. But there's a strong association. Right. And it's kind of like what comes first in this prostate process or cascade of events is what you have to consider. Mm-hmm. Because I don't just look at testosterone. Look at all the things that we check. Yeah. What's most important to me, your insulin resistance. That's number one. Because that is the benchmark for your metabolic health. That's what's dictating all the inflammation that's going on in your system. So testosterone or the estrogens, and again, the progesterones, we know that they're strongly associated with the evolution of these chronic diseases when they're not optimal. So our goal is to put all this together at the same time to mitigate those risks. I'm going to go through some of the categories uh, again, because I, I think that this, it, it's delivered in such a way. So I go into my, I log into my, um, my profile through opt health and we have a diabetes evaluation, which is fasting sugar, fasting insulin, H O M a dash I R hemoglobin. I'm not going to read all these hemoglobin, hemoglobin. There you go. Hemoglobin. Mm-hmm. Then we've got lipids, and we've got inflammation, 
We've got hormones, <clears throat> of which there are tons and tons. We've got liver. We've got kidney, electrolytes, vitamins and minerals, complete blood count, including white blood cells and red blood cells, um, and then tumor markers. And it's delivered in such a way that I think is accessible to people to help them understand. If you're if if every single one of your blood markers is in the red zone, either way too low or way too high, mm -hmm. then you've got some pretty serious work to do. But what I was what I was impressed with when we were talking um, after the first and uh, after the first love uh, first round of blood work that we did was I saw some numbers and I was I panicked you know I saw those and I was like oh man this doesn't look good should I be alarmed about this and and your style and your again seeing things as as a whole this like symphony of different markers that really kind of paint a picture of overall health was really help useful for me. And I think it will be really useful for other people to understand, okay, these things are kind of tied together. This thing kind of depends, you know, on, you know, when you did your blood work, you know, how, what time of the day fasting, etc. But I think that it's, it's, it, it can be kind of scary to get to look at some of these things and see all of these dots in these red marks and saying, okay, help me translate this. So maybe walk me through a little bit of, of what a typical process is for when you sit down with someone and go over their blood work. Yeah. Let's, let's just recap kind of some of the stuff that we went through. Um, you know, the big thing, what I, what I lead with a lot of patients is they've been waiting with bated breath and anticipation and chatting about these things. Some of them done their Google homework. Sometimes we get emails. Um, I'll tell you the, um, the start of, of this, we, we used to blind those results until they had their first physician appointment. So people didn't that way there, there was not this panic mode, right? <laughs> but everybody wants to see. So we, we left it that veil and that's okay. That's good. Most of them understand they get a, an appointment within a couple of days or a week, right. Of their uh, blood work to, to review these things. But the biggest disclaimer is some of these cutoffs are really, really tight. We're here for optimal, not normal. It's not like going to your GP and getting a, a lab sheet, right? From Quest or LabCorp, which is numbers in huge ranges. And you're like, well, Okay, I'm I'm within these ranges, so I must be okay. Well, you are. That's mediocrity. We don't want mediocrity. We're here for optimal. So we we basically have taken all of those biomarkers, your labs, import them into our dashboard. Very clean presentation, right? On green or red, this is where you should be. And let's talk about it, okay? Um, and so when you see that you're you compare like what we consider optimal to what's normal. You'll see if you had a side-by-side -side comparison that one says normal, then this one says not optimal, <laughs> right? And that's, that's where we lead that conversation. I tell patients, listen, there's a couple really, really important biomarkers here that incontrovertibly, right? Do demonstrate that your risk for disease is that much higher if they're not below or above a certain point and to immediately alleviate most of those, <laughs> those concerns, I tell people they're going to live another day. I promise. Um, we're in control because most of these are what 
lifestyle influenced. Yeah. That goes back to first principles in that we th- we think we're we're very we're very good at shifting sometimes our understanding, I think, and blame to that external right locus of control. But our lifestyle, different statistics probably from different um let's just say statisticians, or especially in the longevity space, but I think it's pretty well accepted that we're in control of about 95% of our outcomes, not our genetics. That's why we talk about epigenetics, because we can modify how our genes present over time and unwind and prevent these chronic diseases. So when walking my patients through that, you can. there's a couple key biomarkers in there that have some strict cutoffs when it comes to um, optimal health or just the way we view metabolic health through that lens of functional medicine, because Western medicine would never look at it that way. And we see it all the time, right? If you want to just pull out a number, look at, you know, triglycerides, right? Western medicine has a cutoff of basically 150. We consider triglycerides, the lower, the better, less than a hundred. Your triglycerides let me just back up back to remember we'll circle back around to this cholesterol stuff. Listen, your triglycerides alone have a hazard ratio of about 1.8 in predicting cardiovascular disease. So to the layman out there, that 1.8, anything above one is a percentage. And you would consider that to be an 80% increase above baseline of cardiovascular risk triglycerides. Okay. So triglycerides alone have a hazard ratio of 1.8. What's the hazard ratio of your LDL? You think it's higher or lower? Don't know. Mm-hmm. Take a stab, 50-50, right? It's about 1.3. So here we are with all this focus and attention, right, on LDL and total cholesterol when the bigger elephant in the room is triglycerides. Mm. So LDL has that risk of 30%, right? Association there with the cardiovascular disease. And triglycerides has 1.8, which is 80%. Completely missing the mark. But there's a lot more medicines, right, to prescribe for cholesterol than there is triglycerides. Mm. And usually triglycerides come from one of two things. Either alcohol or excess carbohydrates. Lots to unpack there. So that, that's a sign then those are the things that we have to target and our nutrition, right? Or contributions. And again, you know, my my emphasis on these root cause contributions to the big picture is just like Hippocrates stated from the earliest days of medicine, before treating, ask your patient, are they willing to give up the things that make them sick? Yeah. And that's it. I mean, but I'm, I, I'm so right excited to see the momentum that our patients have because sometimes it just takes hearing it from somebody else or that different explanation that they never got. And that's probably the, the one feedback that I get all the time. It makes me so giddy every time I hear it is, Hey, thank you for explaining that in a way that I can understand. Mm. And that's what we're here for. Yeah. Because if I educate you, empower you, then you're gonna under, you're gonna be able to see the big picture, right? We're all lost in that noise out there. Yeah. Yeah. How frequently do you work with people 
go over their labs to have a conversation about how they can, you know, become more optimal where it becomes a, a therapy session and they're sharing with you the things that got them down or their sort of misconceptions. Like how much of it is like, you know, um, health coaching. A lot. There's a lot. And I think that's the most important too. It's a relationship. I, I'm here not just to say I have patients, but these have become friends too. That's part of the coaching process. And that's what I think really separates us from a lot of our competition out there and this emerging field, right? Of telemedicine. It is a relationship that you have with your physician. And quite frankly, I've been told that. We're like, I'm not here for the medicines, man. I'm here because of the relationship. And that's what's most important. So it does go a long ways, right? Because the better that you're connected and understand and can see into the life of those patients, then the better you're going to be able to help them. We're not here, again, to sell you anything. I tell, right? People come in all the time. I mean, the best thing I can do and walk away with a great conscious at night is that I told the patients everything that I possibly could to put them on a better hat or path to optimal health. And if they want to move forward with us and start tracking some labs and tinker, right, to see what it takes to move these numbers, then let's go all on board. I'm here, Mm -hmm. right? But if not, then I hope that that one hour session with my patient and or friend has changed their life forever Mm. and got them more curious about what is happening right? And where, what they need to do to achieve those personal goals. It's almost like the family doctor that's in the village or the town that comes and shows (laughs) up with his like leather medicine bag and sits down and actually has a conversation with the family about how are you eating, how you sleep in, how can I help? But, but now it's virtual. Now it's, you know, it's Dr. Jeremy, um, in a virtual conversation about your lifestyle, about the kind of foods you eat, about why it's hard for you to exercise or how to manage your time better to become more optimal. And I, that is different. That is different than any of the other sort of virtual health platforms that I know about, you know, um, and I won't name any of them, but I've used several of them and it's like template. You know, mm-hmm. I, I w- one that I will shit on is Viome. Viome was like one of the first gut microbiome um, measuring platforms, and you would it would you know you'd send in a sample, they'd give you the like, okay, here's you've got eleven million lactobacillus a flyori in your gut, but the but the action around those were the same for everybody. I looked at five or six different Viome tests results and then the suggested action to you know help improve the 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 gut health they were all the same it was mm-hmm. like you should eat more legumes you know you should introduce more fiber and it was so templatized it really kind of let me down and and that is not what you're doing you're 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 looking through the lens of of this of this blood work but then you're actually having a conversation around well what do you want to do Sean like you know, what, what do you, how do you want to perform? Mm-hmm. What's important to you? Do you want to look younger? Do you want to be able to thrive in jujitsu? Do you want, you know, do, are you training for a marathon? 
Like, do you want to lose weight? Do you, and that, that I think is, is, is absolutely invaluable. So it's not surprising to me when you told me before we turned the mics on that the business is growing really quickly, because I think that this, the consultative, an hour with a doctor, nobody's ever gotten an hour with a doctor in the last, you know, 30 years. It just doesn't exist <laughs> anymore. You know, it is, it's hard, but that time, right. I have patients taking notes during our conversations and I'm taking notes. I tell them if they miss something, don't worry, because I'm going to have a plan for them and send them all the reminders that they need, right? In their in their performance plan, their dashboard. The patient does do most of the work. They have to. They always do. That's like if you were teaching somebody jujitsu, right? And you had an hour training session a week with that person. 168 hours in a week. Okay. Now there's 167 because you just took one of their hours. What are they going to do for those other 167 hours? Yeah. That's part of laying that groundwork and setting those expectations um, and helping them uh, in their, you know, shaping their, their, their mindset and their framework around what it's going to take to achieve these goals. I mean, it's it, as kind of sometimes maybe cliche it is, but how do you get a grandfather clock to work? You have to wind it up every day, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And that's what I have to remind my patients. They need to charge themselves every day. How disruptive do you think platforms like yours will be to the standard Western medical paradigm? I, there's going to be a lot of parallels in that it's, probably going back to even some of the, you know, you could say the food wars, you know, and what's going to be the best diet. Well, it's going to be very disruptive in that people are, are starting to wake up and they understand what's been going on behind the scenes for the past 40 or 50 years. You know, I mean, just look at the statistics. We are not getting any better as a population. Our, our life expectancy has decreased, mm -hmm. right? For the first time in history. Before COVID, this wasn't COVID related. But every other country, developed country is going up. We're going backwards. So there's a there's a position for both systems, right? But we need to start looking at the evidence. And we need to start treating from within and not outside. Mm. We live in a world where superficiality right overshadows the substantial and this whole concept of health has been completely distorted mm. right everybody it's all the facade everybody cares about sometimes just the number on the scale and their relationship with gravity that tells me nothing about who you are inside your metabolic health mm. i would rather you be a little overweight and have good vo2 max and strong functional capacity then skinny, right? A normal body weight and can't get off the couch. Hmm. So we, we have to redefine our relationship, right? With what health means and with aging in itself. But these types of platforms, right? Where we can reach the patients, spend this quality time one-on-one, -on -one, give them the tools that they need to redefine their understanding of just health 101. It's going to be very disruptive. And as 
our tools advanced too. If you're that guy that really geeks out, you know, on some of the, the most forward lean and data and epigenetics, we're here. We have it. It's coming. Now, these algorithms, right, again, you have to step back. They're very insightful. And they might one day really change the way we do things. But they're not deterministic. They're not going to tell you exactly what to do. They're not going to predict your, your fate. But they can help guide us in the right direction. Mm. That's what's exciting. We're able to look at so much more now and we're pulling all this data together. You can get data fatigue, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my patients, they come and they talk to me about all their wearables, which we can sync in our dashboard, which is phenomenal because then I can see some of the action that's going on behind the scenes. Um, but the novelty of some of those does wear off the time. I see it. You know, you have your whoop or your aura ring and you see this data and you get excited. And it looks good, but the same story does repeat itself. It's like, well, every time I drink alcohol, my sleep sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know, right? <laughs> that that kind of just is the, again, just the basic understanding. And your body giving you those signals, that inner wisdom and intuition saying, this is probably not right. Hmm. We have to unwind all these things that we've normalized over the years. I tell people... You need to get off the grid, right? We need to focus more on what it was like our ancestors did to, to prevent these things and slow down the pace of aging. So part of that, right, and ushering in the truth about, about what really matters is what's going to change the landscape of what we do. And we have to refocus our attention on metabolic health and metabolic medicine, right, and not just medicine as it is today. Yeah. What what's your what are your thoughts on the uh, weight loss drugs like Gozempec? Oh boy, I, <laughs> that one's uh, that's a, that's another one, right? Um, that has ushered in a lot of attention and excitement. It's a sticky point with me, and. We do use it at times, of course, but it's a challenging medicine because it doesn't get to the root cause of the problem. The root cause is again, the lifestyle and metabolic right inflammation. And it can be used as, as a crutch. You might need a little push forward. That's okay. But this is a medicine that you have to tread cautiously with. <laughs> this, the, the statistics and studies are out there showing the detrimental effects that this thing will have if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. Patients will lose, you know, it's a sacrifice, right? There's no free lunch. You will end up losing 25 to 30% of your muscle mass if you're not careful. You get so nauseous sometimes that you don't want to eat. I've seen people come to the operating room because of gastroparesis, right? And bowel blockages from this medicine. Mm. You just have to decide what you want to do, but that's never my first reach. And I definitely am much more conservative, I think, than most people out there because it has become 
a sensationalized medicine. And so if everybody's jumping on board, you might want to turn the other way and re-ask yourself why, right? There's no shortcuts. Yeah. But there is a place for it. Now, you have to work out because if you don't change, right, the process at which you do things, there's no coming off this medicine. And they anticipate it. They know that. Again, remember we're talking about let's not look at the outside so much. What's going on inside? Let's look at that that inner picture and not just that number on the scale, right? Or how we look in our bathing suit. That will come with time. You fix that inflammation first, those other things will take care of themselves. Hmm. And it's going to be more sustainable and more gratifying because of the hard work you put in. Yeah. So there are some trade-offs that I'm very cautious with because that we have to have an exit plan for that medicine before starting. And that exit plan is we have to we have to train hard. We have to eat good proteins. We have to maintain muscle mass. We don't want to lose our bone mineral density. And if not, you're going to come off that medicine and you're going to be right back where you started. Yeah. Number one. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I, I tend to freak out a little bit when I see the headlines of muscle wasting and, you know, digestion, not working and nausea and, you know, that Ozempic face where people just get shrunken in and they just look <laughs> like, Whoa, what happened? What'd you do? But it's interesting to hear that there's, that there's potentially a way for, for a person to use it in an abbreviated amount of time in a responsible way to kind of kickstart. Sure. Changes, you know, like you're going to do gastric bypass. Like, yeah, that's a pretty invasive process, but if yes, it is 200 pounds, 250 pounds overweight. And you have to like absolutely change everything in your life in order to, you know, to, to get back to health, you know, maybe it's, it's worth considering. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I can share all the perspectives on that too. Right. I mean, now we're really into it. I mean, as an anesthesiologist, Half the time of stuff that woke me up in the middle of the night was coming to the operating room for emergency X lapse because the patient has bowel leakage, right? From former ga gastric bypass surgeries. They're septic because they have peritonitis. I'm telling you, it's not as rosy as it seems. And there's more sustainable things to do. But we've okayed it. We've normalized these things. When really, if we just took all this time and energy and money and put it into lifestyle coaching and got back to the roots, we wouldn't be here today. We just wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, thinking about an alternative, I mean, something that's, it's again, almost probably as good as uh, Ozempic and lowering your fasting blood sugars and helping with insulin is, just, is one bacteria, one bug in your stomach, in your GI system. It's actually your intestine. Acromancia. There's a great company out there, Pendulum, amazing research on this, lowering fasting blood sugar levels by like up to 30%, almost as good as Ozempic. Really? And we're working from the inside out, right? The gut, your mitochondria and your gut are probably the epicenter of everything that's going on. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we have to work on. What, what what does that company do? It makes a specific 
or or, or a, a delivery system for a specific you say acromantia yes. and and what does that what does that do just changes your gut microbiome or digestion or what what what's yeah that it's mean? it's an anaerobic microbe that's in your large intestine and a lot of us are deficient in acromantia hmm. and the reason who knows right from antibiotic usages to our food supplies. Think about all the herbicides and pesticides that are on our foods. Think about the water supply, the petroleum stuff. There's just a lot of reasons, but the power of this one bug to stimulate the GLP system and lower your blood sugar is pretty fascinating. Hmm. This is the bio-individuality, right? Let's, let's really, really zero in on the root cause of these problems and not just patch it up. Okay. And it's not going to just be a bug that saves your life either. But that would be a much more reasonable tool, right? To rebalance that gut microbiome than to shoot yourself up heavily every week with a GLP drug that is, could be a lot of stress on your system. Hmm. How frequently do you think people should get blood work done? We at OptHealth will run labs up on the quarter, just about every three to four months. Sometimes if we need to check them a little sooner for particular reasons, we will. And sometimes we'll extend it out, even just based on the patient's desires, right? It's a double-edged sword. You come in, you see more data, and sometimes you catch these one-offs, right, that create alarm when there's no alarm to be had. Because your day, your performance that you did the day before or the week before can manifest in your labs, right? Days and weeks later. <clears throat> and some, well, as the cycle just repeated itself this year, everybody comes in in January, a lot of my follow-ups. And it's probably the 80-20 rule. 80% of them sometimes took a step back. <laughs> and it's because they just relax a little bit over the holidays. That's okay. It's a good conversation. Again, back to seeing is believing. Now you know what it took you right 12 months to get to and how quickly you can get off track if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. So I do think there's value in seeing these labs, right? Because sometimes we make adjustments and we also want to just have that validation that we're still on track and we're doing the right thing. Um, I don't think you need to get labs more than every three or four months, unless there's something that's more imminent that we need to check. Okay. And even within that time period, sometimes I see my patients, male and female, both, we catch these one-offs, but then I just have to put more context around that and explain that. Let's just see what happens again in three months, right? Let's get back on track. <clears throat> this is, we identify the contributing factors and we move on. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like the data, right. That you wear every day when it comes to tracking your Garmin or your Fitbit or your whoop, you, you can overwhelm yourself with it at times. And you probably just need to, as you evolve through these things, understand the, let's just say the context sensitive halftime of how these things play into your labs. Right. And the, uh, the, the time lapse, uh, between, what you did and how long it changes or it manifests in your blood. <clears throat> Some biomarkers only hang around for minutes. Others hang around for hours and days. That's like the hemoglobin A1C that we check. It 
more or less is a, a, an aggregate of 90 days of your red blood cells in your system. And it's, it's checking the balance of glucose, right? In your blood. So it's looking back 90 days, roughly. And so if you weren't on good behavior for two months out of those three, you might have a higher hemoglobin A1C, even though that last month was squeaky clean. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's the context, right? Understanding the, say, pharmacodynamics, I guess. It's not a medicine, but the the, the time-sensitive half-life of these things and where they float around in your system and how quickly they're metabolized or excreted. Yep. That's helpful to helpful mm -hmm. to hear. Well, again, like, I don't know this shit. People listening don't know this shit. We don't know. We don't know, you know, like, so getting your thoughts, your opinions, you know, working with, with, with people who do know and can see the bigger picture and make yeah. good suggestions and understand and unpack the context for, for some of these, these, these blood markers, I think is really important. What about for the like top 5% like gangsters that are doing CrossFit competitions or training for a marathon or competing at, you know, some jujitsu tournament. And they want to like, they've got a three month run to get up to like a Spartan race this summer. And they want to be at their highest possible level. Could they, could they go into this process with opt health and say, okay, like I want to be ready to perform in three months. Can you work with them to help them fine tune or optimize or, or, you know, create new routines that will help them be ready to compete? Of course. You don't know what you don't know. And if you're not going to check, then you'll never know. We have people coming in here all the time that, that are the epitome of health from the outside in. But then you look at some of these biomarkers, you're like, whoa, how's your recovery time? Do you have more sports related injuries? Big questions because some people that perform at this level, and we work with a lot of them. I mean, I work with people that go on to do triathlons and the Ironmans and cycling races, you know, these like semi-professional. And um, you realize that a lot of them are all afflicted with the same stuff, and that is the inflammation right? And increased injury rates and slow recovery, and soreness. Um, and that comes into play, right? When you factor in the balance of nutrition, if there's any hormone that's off, if the inflammation's present. So back to the root cause. And there's a great, um, someone I highly respect too. And again, these are all things that I've learned along the way. Um, uh, Catherine Shanahan wrote a, a amazing book on nutrition. It's called Deep Nutrition, and she herself is a big advocate in this space too. Uh, but ultimately, she was like the college right athlete, and realized that she kept having all these injuries. And I think she was doing she's uh, track or long distance. I uh, can't recall exactly, but she puts it in that perspective right very well. And her book goes a lot into the historical, you know, context of nutrition, what we're missing, how she changed her behaviors, her understanding, because she too is an MD and went through the system and was missing all the most important stuff. 
And after she got, she right-sized everything right, back at it. Never felt better in her life. But it was a struggle. It's a constant grind. And some of us have that. Discipline, right? Not motivation. I tell my patients, I'm not motivated to go work out all the time, but I do it. Because that's Jocko Willing's quote. Discipline mm-hmm. equals freedom. But if it's that much of a struggle, then sometimes day in and day out, maybe we should start looking a little bit further and find out if we're missing something very critical, right? To our performance. Mm, that's great. Great mm-hmm. answer. Yeah. Let's say someone's interested and they're like, you know, this is it. Uh, I've been waiting for waiting for the right platform to do blood work because I'm not going to get it for my my GP. And again, I can't tell you how many people I've I've suggested just just especially for the uh, for the hormones because you just can't get that from your typical doctor. They'll they'll just not order it. So let's say somebody's interested um, and uh, they're all in what, what, what are some things or a thing that opt health cannot do or will not do for people? What are the limitations of this platform? Just so people are clear on, on expectations. I don't know if I've run into that situation yet, John, huh. a good problem to have. <laughs> I don't if know we can't, you- if we don't have an answer, then we're going to help get it for you. Mm. Like what? Well, some advanced testing. Right. I mean, it'd be nice if we maybe had some brick and mortars and where the Amazon is testing and can just run off and pull things out of the cloud and get it done. And we do hope to to really have a lot of these services at our fingertip in the future. Again, we're four years in and there's a lot of great things in the pipeline and coming. And so what you see now is probably going to change dramatically in the next six months and, and the, the say consumer facing side of this and more or less having a marketplace to order some of these tests um, that, you know, might eh, cost us a little bit more time and effort to go get. But if I really think that you need something and I can get it for you, I'm going to help get you that test. Right. So part of that's looking, like I said, back into that gut microbiome, you know, doing some tests there. Very important. Looking at some epigenetic testing. A lot of these things, again, are going to be sometimes home directed, kits that are very easy to use. Um, sending you a Dutch test to look at your metabolites. Big for women and looking at the estrogen and progesterone kind of metabolites, right? And pathways to better fine tune their treatments. Um, and some tests we know we just won't ever be able to do. And that is, I'm not gonna go walk down the street with you and tell you to get a coronary artery calcium scan or a CT angio to look at the plaque in your heart. But if, if I do think that's a valuable assessment tool, then I'm going to recommend you go get one. And if you have to, then I'll write you a little doctor's slip, you know, and you can take it down the street. And I tell them, go cash pay. It's cheap. You know, you're not going to get it through your PCP unless you really already strike the uh, mark of disease and they can right. code for it. But what most consumers don't know, just like here, you can pay out of pocket and it's not going to rob the bank. Yeah. And it can be very, very helpful and even catch, you know, some serious problems sooner than not. And I've been through that already with a couple of patients. Yeah. Yeah. We thought they had a perfect heart, you know, and didn't have any calcium or plaque built up. $120 down the street, and you realize you got a positive coronary calcium scan. So let's talk about that. Although that again, that scan is 
it's kind of just a time uh, stamp in time. You know, you could have had that plaque for 10, 20 years just from a stressful event in your childhood that's perpetuated over time. That's probably a limitation of that test. Um, some of the most advanced testing out there now around the coronary calcium um, and plaque is the clearly scan. And that's taking a CT angio basically and some and wrapping up, you know, some technology on top of that to reassess that to see soft plaque, things that you can't see mm. unless you go invasive. Um, and that's going to change the landscape too. But you can go get that test done today. And we've had some of our patients go get it. Huh. That's, that's, a, that's one thing that I think is, is another point of this that, that again, kind of illustrates the value, which is there may be some stuff that you haven't thought about or completely unaware of that you would never catch with typical blood work done in your annual medical, but you might be able to see, you might be able to you know, the doctors at opt health might be able to actually say, Hey, this there's, tell me, tell me about this. Like they work, I'm, I'm seeing something, let's talk about it. And it turns out to be, you know, some, some indication that there's disease coming or a heart attack coming or some other, some, something that's, that's much more serious. So I don't know, it just, it just, it just illustrates the point of the value that, that you guys are providing decentralized, um, taking a broad picture at, at people's overall health within the optimal ranges, not to be mediocre, but to be, to be your best, to increase your sure. health span. Yeah. Agreed. And I don't listen. I don't speak the canonical truth all the time either. Don't take what I say as gospel, but, and if I don't have the answer that I think you need, then I will let you know. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask my partners or we'll outsource and refer you to a specialist if we have to. Right. But we are here to work alongside the, the physicians that you already established with if if we need to and they want to, right? I mean, I tell patients, number one, when they come in the door and I see them on stat and blood pressure medicines and maybe a type 2 diabetic, I'm like, listen, guess what? You didn't know that these are all reversible. What you've been told is irreversible is reversible. And we're going to be off these medicines here in 6 or 12 months if you do part, right? That's what we have to wrap our heads around because everybody thinks that this is just now the, the, the new path of life that they signed up for and they're not given hope. Hmm. We have to, we have to change that. These are all reversible diseases. That's such a huge point that I think needs to be harped on, especially for people who are like my parents age, you know, mm -hmm. late sixties, early seventies. To just re resign to the fact that this is the medication that they need to stay alive because they have X or Y. And it's like, no, 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 no. No. It, it's really, oh, it's a daily grind with my parents. Same, but it's a good one. Actually, they're probably the ones that are responsible for getting me on the path that I am. Mm -hmm. And I didn't come from a family of physicians, but I came from a family and two great parents that really taught me how to work hard and be curious and have strong opinions, but loosely held, mm -hmm. you know, we're all kind of following the same path and we're, we're all leading to the same place. And we, we know where that's going to go if we don't reverse course. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do here at Opt Health is we're really trying to, to change that uh, perspective and put people back in control of what's happening. 
And, you know, the parents are doing great. You know, my mom's got osteoporosis. And my dad's in great health. They're in what, mid-70s? They're on, they're really not on any medicines. Now, my grandfather lived in 90s, and he actually was a former smoker. You know, but he quit cold turkey. I remember, I was just a little guy. I think he quit cold turkey around the age of 58 or 60. Hmm. Never any issues, no medicine, right? Some of us do get by with that. And that's just the luck of the draw, right? But we know that it's going to come back to bite most of us. Mm-hmm. And we can't do that. So there is some good genetic history here. And so part of that too is when I tell, talk to my patients, like I see a lot of good stuff here. You've got a good family history. It's your job to own that and protect that because this is what you're going to be able to ensure, right? Your participation with generations to come and pass on to your kids and your family. Mm. Well said. That's beautiful. Um, before I ask the final question, which is a fill in the blank question, um, where can, where would you send people to go if they want to learn more? What's the first step? Oh, first step is just, you know, go to the website, um, www.getgetopt.com. A lot of information there. We do have some, you know, open access blogs too. Um, if you have any questions, our team's very responsive. You can just drop a chat and they'll uh, talk to you there or give you a phone call before signing up. If you are listening right now to this conversation and you're like, man, I like the way this guy thinks about health. I like the way that he approaches, you know, balance and lifestyle and, you know, not, you don't have to be stuck on this medication or that medication. If, if you're, if you're grokking what Dr. Jeremy is saying, it's worth taking, it's worth following that instinct. If this is resonating with you and you're unhappy with the care, level of care you're getting with your with your primary care physician that you've maybe had for 30 years because you've been at the same job, now might be the time to explore this a little bit and take control of your own health and get decentralized. And I'll tell you, you know, whether you're if you're not watching on YouTube. Uh, Jeremy is an extremely fit person as he, as you sit up and get your posture. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. Shot. I'm standing. Look, you're I'm standing. I stand with all my patients. I'll be here working with them for eight hours a day. And I tell them, you got to get out of the chair. Yeah, you got to make these small changes. But you're, I appreciate it. It's yeah, uh, like I said, it's... already went for a run with the dog, already <laughs> got after it today, got your fitness in, you know. Hey, just these are the kind of doctors you that I want to work with. I don't want to work with some crusty old, you know, obese dude with terrible skin. And it's just, and then that's maybe that's rude, but the fact is, you know, I don't want a fat trainer. I don't want a fat doctor. I want people who are living this and every single day. And Jeremy definitely yeah. checks that box. So, well, thanks, Sean. You know, I got to walk the walk, talk the talk. And, you know, there's a lot of well intentioned people. Uh, providers out there, you know, but unfortunately they were stuck. They're stuck in the system just like, you know, I was and yeah. a lot of us. I mean, look at the the greatest minds out there that are leading this, you know, kind of transition, this transforming experience and understanding what really matters the most. Peter Atia, right? And Mark Hyman. I mean, these guys, they're all MDs that went through medical school and training, right? But they knew there was more beyond that. Yeah. And that's, that's again, that's why we're here. 
don't take a passive stance right with your health. You got to yeah. get up. You got to move. There's a Paul check quote that I think he mentions that other people. I think that he actually cites it with someone else, but it, the quote is um, sooner or later, health is going to be your number one concern in life. And mm-hmm. it's always resonated with me. And I want to kick that can as far down the road as I possibly can live a full energetic yes. life, rock, just run myself into the ground and then drop dead, you know, <laughs> at, at 110, you know, in a perfect world. Yeah. Looking yes. like looking 80, looking 70 and just dropping dead at 110 after having a real full rich life. And so here's the final question, which again is a fill in the blank. And this can be related to really anything. It doesn't have to be specific to opt health. Uh, and you can elaborate as much or as little as you wish, but please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing. Everyone would benefit from knowing, Sean, that you are in control of your metabolic health. And that, that circles back to this entire podcast that we just chatted on. Most of my patients come in here thinking that hope is gone, that there's nothing left to do. They come to us looking for more answers. One last attempt, right? Before throwing in the towel. I just want everybody to know that the impact that you will have, right? on your day-to-day performance and your relationships with your family and your friends are not that far out of reach. If you need help, then there's definitely someone around the corner that's going to help get you there. Mm. Well said. Dr. Jeremy Walker, thank you for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. John, thank you. And thanks for what you do too.